This week's reading is from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters. Who does that young woman belong to? She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she came and sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. If we've not met, uh, let me have my welcome. 
Let me lead us in prayer as we jump into uh, Ruth chapter 2. The plot thickens, we get Boaz, things are moving on, moving forward. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Hey, great God and Father, there are many stories you save for us in the scriptures, and some of them are despicable and wicked, and some are delightful. And as we come to this, again, this delightful story of Ruth, would we understand rightly what it means for us? Would we understand the nature of your kindness, how good it is to have a redeemer like the Lord Jesus Christ? We pray it in his name. Amen. So I think the question over chapter two of the book of Ruth is, what do you expect to find when you turn to Jesus Christ or when you return to him? You're a believer who's uh, lived foolishly. You turn back to him. What do you expect to find when you turn to Jesus? And the answer that Ruth chapter two will give you is, you can expect to find a redeemer who is kind and generous and gracious. That's what he's like. If you were here last time, uh, we saw Naomi and her family in Ruth chapter one, rebelliously turn away from the Lord in his promised land. So we may have a little recap. Um, they, the, 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 the word which dominates chapter one is turn. They turn and turn and turn. So they turned away from Bethlehem, the promised land, uh, um, Naomi, her husband, Elimelech, uh, and their two boys, they turned to the land of curse, and it was a disaster, uh, just a, a complete disaster. So Naomi lost her husband, uh, Elimelech, he died, and then the two sons, they also died. So all that was left was Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. One of them stayed in Moab. So Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem. It was a disaster. Oh, by the end of chapter one, they've done the right thing, in returning to Bethlehem, that's good and proper, but what are they going to find now they've turned back? I mean, it sort of ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. I mean, actually, every chapter of Ruth fairly deliberately um, ends on a, what happens next? Um, And so we got to the end of uh, chapter one. Naomi's not happy that she's done the right thing, or she's not happy with her lot. Do you remember in chapter one, verse 20, the women say, oh, it's Naomi. And she says, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. And we ended on this bit of a cliffhanger. So verse 22 of chapter one, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And what happens next? Can you take that? I'm I'm gonna kick it. I just know I'm gonna boot it over. Thanks, Phil. Um, What happens next? That... What do they find? So they've done the right thing. They've turned back to Bethlehem, the promised land, where God says he'll bless his people. But what happens when you turn back to God? When you've been foolish, what do you get? Well, wonderfully, we'll see in this chapter tonight, they discover the Lord's kindness and his grace. The, the word which comes up most in this chapter, I think really structures the chapter, is uh, grace or favour, is uh, how this translation translates it. So Ruth asks in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, Oh, I hope that I find favour. You get it again in verse 10. She says to Boaz, Why have I found 
favor. Verse 13, may I continue to find favor. Favor, grace, you translate it how you desire. But that's what they find when they return to the Lord. Grace, favor. And so the question on this chapter for you and me again is, what do you expect to find when you turn to Jesus Christ or return to him? And Ruth too would encourage us, you can expect to find kindness, favor, grace. That's what you find in him. You find a kind and generous redeemer. So that, I think, favor then is the theme of, of this chapter. Before we really get into it, though, you get a sort of a strange interjection into the text of chapter 2 and verse 1. The, the narrator begins with a seemingly random comment that doesn't really follow the flow of the story. So verse, end of chapter 1, verse 22, so you've got Naomi and Ruth there in Bethlehem, and there's a barley harvest. Chapter 2, verse 1, now, by the way, by the way, uh, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And then he gets back to the plot. It's as if, just before we get to chapter two, Boaz, right? Boaz, keep your eye on Boaz. He's going to be really important. Um, So this is just a very sort of kindness of the narrator to say, look, just so you don't miss my point in chapter two, Boaz, okay? Uh, Two things are really stressed about him. Naomi has a relative on her husband's side. Okay. Do you remember last time? In In the promised land, every tribe and every clan within a tribe and every family within a clan gets given a lot of land in the promised land. And your stake in the promised land at that time, it's not just a place to grow your peas and beans and Strawberries probably don't grow, do they? I don't know. Whatever you want to grow. It's not, it's, an, it's a stake. It's a demonstration that you participate in the blessings of being in God's land. But, I know we don't like it, but in the culture of the time, that descended through the male line. So that the husband, Elimelech, it was his land. He's dead, it'll go to his sons. Ah, no sons. And if you remember last time, Naomi despaired and said, I've got no male relatives. Ruth, why are you going to come back to the promised land with me? I've got no one you can marry. I've got no relatives for you. So here, chapter 2, verse 1. Ooh, there is a relative. There's a male relative. There's hope that they can maintain their stake. This male relative could take it on for the deceased Elimelech. And their stake in the promised land continues. So that's interesting. The other thing we're told is it is a man of standing. He's an uh, an upstanding uh, man. He's a worthy man. Uh, It has a sort of a a, a moral sense and an economic sense. He's a man of standing. You can mean that. Or morally, he's an upstanding character. Both for Boaz. So that's what we're told. The narrator says, look, before, we, before I carry on, Boaz, important, okay, wink. Now let's get back to it. Verse two, we're going to work through uh, the text thinking about favor. So the vulnerable Ruth hoped for favor. Favor was found in Boaz's field. Actually, favor was found under God's wings. And then at the end, favor produced an excited response. 
favor. That's what they find when they return to the promised land. First then, vulnerable Ruth hoped for favor. Chapter 2, verse 2. Now, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, it's the first time tangentially that Ruth takes a lead, but anyway, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, why do I say vulnerable? Well, there's three little clues the text gives us why she's so vulnerable. First, she's Ruth the Moabite. Now, if you read through this book, she's always referred to as Ruth the Moabite. So we had it at the end of chapter one. She's Ruth the Moabite. Here she's Ruth the Moabite. Uh, Later in the chapter, verse six, she's the Moabite from Moab. Now, why do we always get that? There are no other Ruths in the book. It's not like, um, oh, I'm going to see Sarah. Or which Sarah? Oh, oh, Sarah from London, not Sarah from Manchester. It's not there's Ruth the Moabite and, and, and Ruth the Israelite. There's only one Ruth. It's as if you always, someone constantly referred to me as, oh, that's Matt Fuller from Essex, which is where I was born. Um, that's not funny. <laughs> you're, oh, you're so mean. Um, if you always call me Matt Fuller from Essex, oh, that's Matt Fuller from Essex. Go and speak to Matt Fuller from Essex. Who's preaching tonight? It's Matt Fuller from Essex. Eventually, I'd say, what's your point? I mean, am I a boy racer? I mean, I don't know what the caricatures are these days. I lose track. But is that, are you commenting upon my alloy wheels on my car? My spoiler? Um, Why would you stress that? The writer here, it's Ruth the Moabite. In other words, she's a foreigner. That's the point. She's a foreigner. Gets even more stressed at other points. Ruth herself says, verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes? I'm a foreigner. So there's the first reason she's vulnerable. She's a foreigner. Secondly, she's a widow. So there's no one to provide for her. Her only relative is Naomi. You know, in, in the Old Testament law, the, the, the three groups that are constantly referred to, there's a, a triplet that constantly comes up. You need to look after the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. Because in the culture of the time, those three are the most vulnerable because they've got no stake in the land. You've got to look at Ruth's two out of three. She's a foreigner and she's a widow. Thirdly, she's a young woman. Verse five, who's this young woman? She's a young woman in a culture where women were shamefully treated. We commented last time, if you were here, chapter one, verse one, locates this story of Ruth in the time of Judges, which is morally one of the very worst times in Israel's history. If you read just the last few chapters of Judges, chapter 19, I mean, it is horrible. Chapter 19, there's a gang rape, and then the woman who's been raped is mutilated. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just appalling to read. Chapter 21 there's a tribe of men and they haven't got any wives. So they go and, mass, um, go and kid, uh, organize a mass kidnapping of young girls in order to marry. It's like something out of Boko Haram. I mean, it's just horrible. Women at this stage in history, in this place, are deeply vulnerable. You, you get that from the, the, the text of chapter two as well. Um, uh, just briefly, uh, verse 9, 
one of the things that Boaz says to uh, Ruth in verse 9, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you, because otherwise you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's just the culture of the day, isn't it? Or uh, uh, Naomi comments towards the end, verse 22, you've done really well here because in anyone else's field, you're bound to be harmed. Now, I'm laboring this because we need to understand in one sense quite how helpless Ruth and Naomi are. They're a situation that they're, it's akin to, um, remember the the horrid uh, headlines last year in the Congo where it was exposed that um, World Health Organization, a number of men working there uh, in the Congo had demanded sex before they gave any aid to young women. Or 2019 in Haiti, it was Oxfam then, wasn't it? Again, exploiting young women, no sex, no grain. Abhorrent. How helpless do you feel in that sort of culture where your only chance of food is? Well, you know what's going to happen. That is Ruth here. That is Naomi here. They've returned, asylum seekers functionally, helpless, friendless, penniless. So when Ruth says, I'm really hoping I find favor, I'm really hoping I find grace somewhere, yeah, yeah, she's praying that earnestly. So there's Ruth, vulnerable Ruth. She hopes for favor. Let's pick up the pace. Favor was found wonderfully in Boaz's field, verse 3. So um, Naomi says to her, yeah, go ahead, my daughter. Verse 3, so she went out, entered a field and began to glean. Pause. Uh, You know, in the Old Testament law, gleaning um, by the law of the time, in the law of Israel at this time, what was meant to happen was if you're the landowner, when you do your harvesting, you do a reasonable job, but you never go into the corners. Uh, you always leave some behind. doesn't matter if it's grain or you're harvesting your olives or your, or your grapes. Uh, Deuteronomy 24 or other places will tell you this. You're always leaving some behind. It's not economically wise, but it is kind. That's the gist of it. So that those who had no stake, those who had no land, could go and pick up what's left. So you don't harvest to the corners. And if you drop something, you're just meant to leave it so someone can pick it up. Gleaning. Actually, it's a very beautiful law (laughs) that the Old Testament gives. It's not a complete handout. You do have to do some work. But if you've got nothing, you'll be provided for. That's the point. So Ruth wants to go and glean. Well, as it, verse 3, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. You know, Boaz, I told you about, yeah? And verse 4, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. Now, the narrator wants us to really get, he's really stressing here, God has arranged things pretty well. Uh, Verse 3, as it turned out, it's quite a hard little thing. Literally, you translate it, um, the happenstance that happened to Ruth was, or She just chanced by chance to be in the field of Boaz. 
In other words, the narrator is saying, who'd have thought that, eh? Who'd have, of all the fields in the whole of Israel, in all of Bethlehem, you happen to be in that of your relative. Yeah, God is at work. So she's there. And verse four, just then, literally, behold, Boaz arrives. And the narrator's having a bit of fun with this. It doesn't really translate brilliantly. But it's like, well, would you believe it? She ends up in Boaz's field. And just then, lo and behold, he walks through the door. Door of a field, anyway, whatever. He arrives um, uh, at the field. Wow. The Lord is at work arranging this, bringing these two together. Of course, the moment they meet... Neither of them knew that it was of any interest or value or anything useful was happening. It's going to transform the whole of history, this encounter. Now, what does Boaz say? Remember, uh, the, the, the narrator said, watch your eyes, keep your eyes on Boaz. So verse 4, he arrives. And uh, the first words we hear from Boaz, he greets his staff and says, the Lord be with you. So he seems like a godly bloke. Um, that's how he greets his staff. Verse 5, he asks his uh, overseer, literally young man of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And uh, the overseer, the young man, replies, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab. Just notice again how redundant that is. She's the French woman from France. He's the German man from Germany. He's the Englishman from England. Yeah, we sort of get how that works. She's the Moabite from Moab. Obviously, not the Moabite. She's a foreigner boss, is what he's saying. Oh, but um, verse 6, verse 7, she's a hard worker, I tell you. She'd been in the field since morning and um, has barely taken a rest. And verse 8, we get the first words that Boaz speaks to Ruth. My daughter, and certainly from the rest of the book, you'll see there seems obviously to be some sort of age difference. She's a young woman. He's an older man. My daughter, And then there's kindness here. Numerous things he says. One, don't go and glean in another field. You can stay here all day. Two, stay with the women who work for me. You'll be safe with them. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. You can just act as if you're one of my staff. Three, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. You'll be safe under my protection. Four, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. You'll be fine. Kindness. So Ruth, excuse me, Baaz, he's a faithful Israelite. He keeps this law of Israel. He allows, you know, grain to be left in the corners of his field. So gleaning can happen. He's a good guy. But he goes beyond that in his kindness. You can certainly tell that he's just not observing the law, but going beyond it in kindness, just by Ruth's response, verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? You, you might think it's a bit over the top, isn't it? She sort of gets down and bows down to him. It's, but she is overwhelmed because here is a woman who has nothing, is vulnerable, He's kind of expecting to be exploited. He's expecting to be met with real hardship, expecting that people take advantage. 
And she's met this guy who's not just faithful, he's beyond faithful. He's very kind. This is what she's found in returning to the promised land. What do you expect to find when you turn to Jesus or return to him? The, the, the Christian is one who comes with nothing. I mean, the most obvious pictures of the Christian life. We come with nothing. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper this evening. We will come with nothing. We hold out an empty hand and say, I need, please give. The Christian is one who comes with nothing. And when you come to Jesus, you find he's kind. That's what you expect. No, sorry, not what you expect. That's what you get with this redeemer. Ruth was hoping for favor and she finds it in the fields of Boaz. Now, Boaz interprets what's going on for her. So a third little thing, favor was found under God's wings. So you get the end of verse 10. She says, why have I found such favor in your eyes? He answers, verse 11. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you didn't know before. So he, he's stressing here what we thought about last week, how costly it was for Ruth to turn away and put her trust in the God of Israel, the God of the Scriptures. It's costly. He says, I've heard everything you've done, how kind you've been. But I don't think we should think here he's just, he's only being generous to her because of her positive character. One, because we've been told he's a worthy man, chapter 2, verse 1. He's morally an upstanding man. But two, he points her to the Lord. Verse 12, here's Boaz explaining what's taking place. Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. I'm, I'm praying these two things for you, Ruth. It'll repay you, you'll be richly rewarded, because what you've done, you, you, you know when you chose to come here, at that moment in time, you put yourself under the protection of the Lord. You've come under the wings of the Lord. Now, it's a sort of, I don't, the image doesn't quite work for us. I don't know if we've got a little picture, but um, you know, there's a sort of gold, there's a golden eagle. You can get 2.5 meter wingspan. I mean, that's big. Um, and of course, in the culture of the day, there's nothing more fearsome in the air than that. I mean, we have jet planes and stealth bombers and all those sort of things. But nothing was more fearsome in the air than an eagle. You look at its, um, its claws, I mean, they're pretty, I don't know if you can see them, but they're pretty vicious. That's the picture. It's a picture of Deuteronomy that um, they, uh, Israel was given in their national anthem of Deuteronomy 32, where the Lord says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flatters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. I'm protecting you. When you became a believer, you came under the wings of the Lord, and he is both strong. I mean, would you take on an eagle? It's a stupid question. I mean, on your own, you would, with a gun, you might be able to run. But you wouldn't, the, um, you wouldn't take on an eagle. I mean, exceptionally strong, vicious creatures. But of course, for their young, there's protection. You've come under the Lord's wings. You did that when you became a believer. And now, at this moment in time, Ruth, you're experiencing just a little bit of what it means to come under his protection. 
you're knowing that now. This is what happens when you live under the kindness and favor of God, Ruth. You're looked after. And I pray you'll know more of this and more of this. Well, it's stressed a little bit further. So verse 13, Ruth says, well, this is very wonderful. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. I don't have the standing of one of your servants. You've been very good to me. And then um, this gets, it gets a bit silly from this point onwards. So verse 14, they, at mealtime, Boaz said, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the vinegar. It's a bit disgusting. Or sauce, just translates to having some sort of tagine. Um, when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, um, great. Um, she eats all she wants and has some left over. At this point, it gets, really does get a bit silly. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. None of the, um, who's this foreigner nicking our grain? We'll have none of that. In fact, when you've sort of gathered up the grain, can you just drop some deliberately? Verse 16, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles, leave them for her to pick up. Don't tell her off, don't rebuke her. I mean, as one writer puts it, this is not sensible generosity. It's a sort of eccentric kindness. It's an abundant kindness for someone who has nothing. Vulnerable Ruth hoped for favor, and she's found it under the wings of God, manifested in the kindness of Boaz. What do you expect to find when you turn to Jesus or return to him? Kindness. Lastly, favor produced an excited response. Verses 17 to the end. So, verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, then she threshed the barley she'd gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah, footnote, about 13 kilograms. So, I mean, that's a decent way to carry back from the fields to your mother-in-law on your back, 13 kilograms. And you can see what, um, uh, I mean, it's take you a while to eat through that grain. You can see what Naomi makes of it. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she'd gathered. Ruth also brought out the doggy bag, and uh, gave her what was left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, oh, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. You can tell she's excited because she asks two questions and doesn't give Ruth a chance to answer. I mean, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Oh, this is so exciting. Blessed be you. I gave you all this stuff. Anyway, who was it? Well, then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today was, is Boaz, she said. And verse 20 is probably the most important verse in terms of interpreting what's gone on in this chapter. Verse 20, the Lord bless him. That's Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he, the Lord, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man, well, we'll come to that. It's got to be that way. So the Lord bless him, verse 20, Boaz. He, it has to be the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness. It doesn't make sense for it to be Boaz because he'd never started showing kindness. And she, then she's going to refer to that man in the next sentence. So here's Naomi interpreting what's taken place here. The Lord's not forsaken us. And I don't know if you were here last time, but you can imagine Ruth, excuse me, you can imagine Naomi here saying, huh, 
I thought he had. I really thought God had given up on us. I really thought the Lord had abandoned me. He's not shocked. He's not stopped showing kindness to us, even though we thought he had. Oh, and there's a bit more. Verse 21, uh, no, still verse 20. That man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Do you remember I said last time, under the Old Testament law, a single relative of a dead man, Elimelech, well, he, he has an obligation to marry Naomi or Ruth. Oh, this really could be a game changer here. So I think at this point we need to imagine Ruth telling Naomi what's happened and Naomi with tears in her eyes saying, God has not forgotten me. God has not given up on us. The Lord's kindness has not forsaken me. Now, the rest of the chapter goes on. Well, look, verse 21, Ruth of Boabite said, he's even said to me, stay with my workers until the finishing, they finish harvesting all my grain. I've got a job for the rest of the season. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. And then we end on a bit of a cliffhanger again, verse 23. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. So things are much better. I mean, Ruth and Naomi, they're no longer hungry. They've got plenty of grain and they've got grain coming in for the rest of the season. But they still don't have a stake in the land. They've still got no inheritance for their future. So it's, it's, it's good. But what's going to happen? What's, what's Boaz going to do? Well, of course, the story's not finished. Two things. As we finish, what are we to do with this? Two things to, for you and me to take away, I think. The first is this. The kindness of God will never forsake you. That's the first thing we're to take from Ruth 2. The kindness of God will never forsake you. I don't suppose it's a great surprise to hear me say, look, in 20 years of being at this church, there have been numerous times when people have said to me, God's forgotten me. I've had a rough deal from the Lord. I don't think he cares about me. Sometimes that's said in anger. I think more often just bewilderment. I don't, I don't other people's lives are really straightforward and mine is just, God, why? And the answer to that is, no, his kindness has never forsaken you. It's never forsaken you. Never. It may sometimes feel as though he's forgotten. It may sometimes feel like he doesn't care. But that is never, ever true. When you come to Christ, when you come under the wings, under the protection of the Lord Jesus, you cannot lose his kindness. 
And sometimes it may take decades, as in Naomi's case, until you go, ha, I see it now. It may take longer. Maybe only when you stand in glory before him, in bliss, do you say, you, okay, <laughs> okay, those years were hard, but this. But you, he will never forsake being, he'll never forsake you. You can't lose his kindness, okay, ever. And I don't know, but maybe even this week you can feel that way. God has pretty much given up on me. This week maybe a verse three and verse, verse four week. You know, it just so happens that you met this. It just so happens. The chance of chances happen that we only find that out in a few years' time. You don't know what the Lord is doing, but you do know his kindness will never forsake you. That's the first thing to take away. The second, as we finish, is this. Your Redeemer is kind and full of grace or favor. Your Redeemer is kind. You know, at the end of this chapter, Naomi is functionally, she's saying to Ruth, Ruth, this is great. There is a Redeemer. There's a kinsman Redeemer. Everything could get sorted out. And you've met him, Ruth, and he's kind and he's godly. Look how he treats his staff. He greets them in the name of the Lord. He sits and has dinner with them. He's really good to his staff. He's a faithful Israelite. He does the gleaning thing. He does all that perfectly. He's generous to the poor and the vulnerable. Those who everyone else could exploit, he protects. Ruth, this is, this is very exciting. We've got a redeemer. There is a redeemer and he's kind. He's protected you. He's provided for you. He's treated you with grace and favor. This is excellent. And who knows what he's going to do next. But you know, chapter two, verse one, the narrator is saying, look at Boaz. Because he's meant to be a little picture for us, a small picture of our redeemer the Redeemer of Christians, the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides and protects, who die, who take our sin, he'll do all that. It's a picture for us. He's a man of kindness and favor. What do you find when you turn back to Jesus? When you turn to him for the first time, I don't know what you imagine it's like being a Christian, but you do find a savior, a redeemer, who is very generous. And for those of us who have been Christians years, sometimes we can struggle to, return. you know, we're living stupidly. We're doing something we shouldn't, and we know it. What do you expect you'll find when you turn back to him? You'll find kindness. You'll find favor from him. It's always what you find in the Lord Jesus. So look, we're going to sing. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. I think it's the next thing. And we come and we say, Jesus, I've got nothing, but you provided for my salvation. And the band will sing, our glory in my Redeemer. What are we meant to do at the end of Ruth 2? We're meant to say, how wonderful that I have a Redeemer by the Lord Jesus. Let me lead us in prayer. <clears throat> a great God and Father, here, here's an unusual Old Testament narrative in many ways because everyone is pretty good. 
Uh, Ruth is an impressive young woman. But above all, in chapter 2, we see Boaz. We see Boaz in a kindness. We see him offering abundant kindness beyond what the law required, beyond what Ruth expected perhaps to find, beyond Naomi's wildest dreams. There is kindness. Father, would we know that when we turn, or as Christians, we return to the Lord Jesus, we find favor and kindness. And knowing what you're like, would we trust you? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.